This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Today officially kicks off our fall revival services, and so I hope you'll plan on being a part of that as much as your schedule allows this week. We have service tonight at 5 o'clock, uh, service on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, everyone's welcome to join us for that. It will not be a lengthy service. Uh, I grew up in uh, a small town in Kentucky where the revival services meant two, three, sometimes four-hour services, uh, and this is not that type of revival services. We're going to get uh, come together, have a time of prayer. Uh, we're going to sing one song, we'll get right into the message, and then we're going to go home after that. So uh, if you're able to make it this week, I'd greatly encourage you to do that. Uh, all of that kind of kicks off tonight. Today, we're taking a look at our need for revival. What is, why do we even need to talk about revival? Why is it such a big deal? Uh, we'll find that out today. Uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm really excited because next week kicks off a brand new teaching series uh, that will take us throughout the, the most of this year um, entitled Affliction, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. We need to know how to suffer well. Uh, we need to understand that suffering is part of life. It's part of the Christian life. And how do we suffer the way the Bible tells us to? The Bible gives us guidelines to make the most of our suffering. The Bible gives us uh, uh, ways that we can go through it and come out stronger on the other side. And so I'm really excited to take a look at what the Bible says about suffering. It's interesting today, many churches want to talk about prosperity and how God wants you to be wealthy and how if you're following Jesus, everything will work out. That message stands in stark contrast to biblical uh, teaching. Uh, the Bible says you will suffer, you will go through difficult times, that will be hard, uh, that we don't need to find a way out of our difficult situation, but the Apostle Paul told Timothy to endure hardness. You need to stick it out, suck it up, man up, get through it. And so we're going to take a look at the, the Bible and find out what the Bible has to say about suffering and how we can be better Christians and stronger in our faith as we go through difficult times. That kicks off next Sunday, so I'm really excited about that. But today, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to take a look at a couple different verses here. We're going to take a look at what it means to uh, uh, have revival and what that means for us uh, and then why we need revival. First Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. We put on the calendar this year, fall revival services. Uh, we could not schedule a revival to take place. Revival is something that God sends in his time by his spirit. Uh, we couldn't schedule uh, three days or four days that we're gonna have revival any more than we could schedule a rain conference and tell everybody to bring their uh, rain boots and their umbrellas because we're gonna have a big, huge rain conference on this weekend. We couldn't make it rain if we wanted to. But we can prepare our hearts for revival. Uh, we can take a look at our own life and get rid should God choose to send his spirit in a special, unique way to our church that we can be ready for that and be ready to receive it. And that's what we're taking a look at today, how we can be prepared for that. 
It's important to understand, first of all, to define terms and understand what is revival. Revival is the sovereign activity of God whereby he renews his people individually and corporately in vigor, affecting both sincerity of belief and quality of behavior. Now, what do we need to do to prepare for revival? We took a look at this last week, so this is a little bit of review, so we'll go through this uh, rather quickly this morning. First of all, God's people must long for revival. Uh, We've had uh, times of prayer together over the last several weeks. Our men have gathered together at 7 a.m. on Saturday mornings praying that God would send a spirit of revival, first of all, to our own hearts and then to our church family that would ignite uh, something special in our city, in our community. We've been praying for that. Uh, we got together on Wednesday nights in our connect groups and, and prayed. Uh, folks had held prayer meetings in their home and prayed. Uh, we had some folks over to our house last night and we prayed specifically for revival. We desire God to do something special. And that's where it all begins. Uh, God cannot work, he cannot move if we are going to limit him by our faith or our desire for revival. Next, God's people must repent. Uh, revival is really a time of looking inside and saying, is there anything wrong in my heart? Is there anything in my life that I need to make right? Is there something I need to confess before God and make right? And the word repent means a change of mind, which results in a change of heart, which reacts in a changed behavior. So change from the top to the bottom. Sometimes people just try to change their behavior and that doesn't work very long. It takes full repentance. Next, God's people must experience a new awareness of sin. This is a recognition that my sin is not just a bad habit. It's not just a shortcoming. It's not just a personality quirk that I have. It is an affront to a holy God that is repulsed by my sin. And I must also equally be repulsed by my own sinful condition as well. Next, God's people submit to humility. It's a recognition of where I stand before a holy God and a recognition that there's no good thing inside myself apart from the work that God himself has done in me. And it's a commitment to walk in humility. Next, God's people are revived through God's initiative. God chooses when and where to send revival. Again, we couldn't make it happen if we wanted to, but we can prepare ourselves. And so we wanna run through this list of prerequisites and say, God, am I ready for revival? God, is there anything in my life before we even seek revival that needs to change in my own life? Now, what happens if when we begin to experience revival? First of all, God's people experience inward change. Again, change always takes place on the inside first, and then it comes outside. It's very easy to change the outside, to just put a lipstick on a pig, so to say, and make it look good on the outside, but never actually change on the inside. God's not interested in outward change. He wants inward change. Next, God's people live obedient lives. I know what the Bible says, and I choose to live in line with what Scripture says. Next, God's people are passionate for God's work. This gets them fired up. Uh, They're really excited about it. They want to talk about it. They want to share it. They want to live it out in their own life. And they find a passion and a renewed uh, energy for the work of God. Next, God's people are generous in giving. It's not just financially, but this is my time, my talent, my treasure. Everything belongs to God. And I want to give everything I have and invest it in the work of God and the kingdom of God for the rest of my life. Next, people delight in worshiping God. Sunday morning church is not a drag or something we gotta get done so we can get on with the rest of our day. Hey, weekends are when we delight in getting together with God's people and worshiping and the worship doesn't stop whenever we leave here. The worship continues throughout the rest of the week and we live out our love for God in our life each and every day. Next, God's people are joyful. They're excited. God's put something inside of them that automatically has to come out. 
It's a joy that they have on the inside that just doesn't affect the way that they feel, but the way that they act and the relationships that they have. That's what takes place when revival takes place. But if you notice these prerequisites and results, they all start with God's people. The idea of revival is that we have a spiritual condition that has uh, caused our passion and delight in the things of God to wane over time, and we're just kind of going through the motions sometimes, and we want to make that passion alive again. We want to experience God afresh again. We want to open God's word and be so enamored by the Bible again. That's the heart uh, craving that we have. That's a desire for revival. But here's the thing. It's God's people being made alive again. You cannot experience revival if you've never been made alive to begin with. If you're not part of God's people, you can never experience revival. Uh, Revival is is specifically reserved for God's people. And so if you say today, I don't know if I'm one of God's people, there's a really easy way to become one of God's children and to experience the greatest revival you've ever seen in your entire life where you are dead and you become made alive. The Bible says that we are all born spiritually dead. While you were born physically alive, you were born spiritually dead. That means you were disconnected from God and your spirit itself was dead. The Bible says in Ephesians uh, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And because we've separated ourselves from God by our sinful condition, you have sinned, I have sinned, we've broken God's law. Because of that, we have no access to God and God is not our father. Romans chapter five goes so far as to say we are the enemies of God because we've broken God's law and we stand in opposition to God's way. We wanna do things our own way. The Bible says because of our sin, the wages of your sin is death. Because you've sinned against a holy God, you will die one day physically, but that spiritual death that you have on this earth will continue throughout eternity and you'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell. Hell is where God's wrath and torment will be poured out upon sinners and unbelievers for all of eternity. There's no second chances after hell. There's no way we could pray somebody out of hell. Uh, It is a, a final eternal destination that there's no way to move from one side to the other. And for all those who die in their sin, that is the payment for your sin. And I don't know about you, but that does not sound too exciting. The fact that I've sinned against God and the payment of my sin is death and hell, separation from God for all of eternity. But here's the good news. God never intended it that way. God doesn't want you to die and go to hell. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell, so that your payment for your sin can be made, but not by you, but by Jesus instead. But it requires two things from you. It requires faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, believing that he did die on the cross to pay for your sins, believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and repentance. This is a recognition that I have sinned against a holy God and I no longer want to continue in my sin, but I want to turn to Jesus instead. And friend, if you will come to Jesus today in faith and repentance, you can be saved, you can be born again, you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven. There's no church in the world that could save you from your sin. There's no religious act that you could do that would save you from your sin. Uh, You could get baptized in every body of water in the world and it would never wash away your sins. You have sinned against God and the only way to be made clean is for someone to pay for your sin. Either you can pay or Jesus Christ can pay. 
I'm thankful that Jesus didn't pay most of the price for us. He's paid all of the price for us. But if you think that you can make it to heaven by uh, doing your own thing or going your own way, and and for those who would say, uh, well, there's many paths that lead to heaven. We're all on the same road. We'll all eventually get there anyways. Jesus would disagree with that statement. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus claims to be the only way to heaven. And friend, you can be spiritually dead today and be made alive by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave until you know for sure your sins are forgiven. Uh, I'll be hanging out after the service and many of our folks will as well. I'll have a guy sit down with a, a, a guy, a lady sit down with a lady and can show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're saved. This is not how to, to become a Baptist. This is not how to join our church. This is not about getting baptized. This is about knowing for sure that you are a child of God and that heaven is your home. For me, I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I went to church uh, my, my entire life uh, growing up, my uh, uh, growing up years. I heard the gospel a lot that Jesus Christ had died for my sins and at nine years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And my spiritual growth over that time has been a lot like this. Lots of ups and downs. Lots of really high peaks lots of really low valleys. But I can tell you this, through the peaks and the valleys, God is faithful. And if you find yourself today standing on a peak in your Christian life, you say, Pastor, I've never been closer to God than I am at this moment right here. I've never hungered for the things of God ever more than I have in this moment here. Ask God to help you to take it to the next level. If you find yourself in a valley today, Pastor, I'm so far from God, I don't know which end is up. I couldn't find God with both hands if I knew where he was at. I'm struggling spiritually. Ask God to revive your spirit and bring you back into a right relationship with him, a right right desire for him again. Some of you are sitting here going, I don't think I'm on a peak. I don't think I'm on a valley. I think I'm just kind of like cruising, right? We we sometimes use that word cruising. Like I'm I'm not high, I'm not low, I'm just... Good, I'm good to go. We often use the word instead, drifting, because you're not intentional about anything. You're just gonna show up where you show up and wind up where you wind up. And, and when we drift, we never wind up where we're trying to go. Sometimes I'll ask people, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your relationship with God right now? With 10 being, 10 is as good as it gets. 10 would be, if I were any closer to God, I would have to be in heaven because this must be what heaven is like. Or one, I have no appetite whatsoever for the things of God. I don't desire the things of God. I just want him to leave me alone and I want to do my own thing. That's a one to 10. And sometimes I'll ask people, how's your spiritual walk? And they'll say, ah, probably a five, maybe a six. I think I'm doing okay. The Bible has a word that Jesus used in the book of Revelation. You're not hot. You're not cold. You are lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And you know what Jesus says about the lukewarm Christians in the book of Revelation? He doesn't say, that's okay, guys. It's fine. At least you're not cold. That's not what he says. He says, because you're not hot, because you're not cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. The only word that word spew is used in that context in the Bible literally means Vomit. It's so disgusting that you can't pick a side. He said, I just wish you were hot or cold. If you're gonna be against me, be against me. If you're gonna be for me, be for me. But stop this middle of the road stuff. 
That's where revival brings us today. Where, where am I at in my walk with God? Where are we at as a church together? Because the church is collectively made up of individuals. And, and I couldn't set the temperature for our church if I wanted to. I can determine where I'm at in my walk with Christ, but every one of us makes up the church collectively to determine the health of our church. You see, the desire for revival gives us a heart check. Desire for revival causes us to look in the mirror and say, hey, how's my heart doing? I had this past week where I was um, praying and asking God to show if there's anything in my life that wasn't right that I need to make right with him. And it, it, God revealed something to me that I think if, if God had revealed it to me three months ago, I'd have been like, whatever. If that's the worst of my problems, uh, I'm not concerned about that. But God revealed it to me this week and I was smitten by my own sinful condition. I repented and asked God to forgive me of it. I want to make it right. And if I told you what it was, you'd be like, oh, my soul, pastor, are you kidding me? No, it, it, I, it's an understanding that there's no small sin according to God. We, we sit today in a room full of sinners. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. Uh, you, you've joined a, a family of sinners today. Um, that's what we are. If there's anybody in this room that, that says, pastor, I got it all together. I think I'm good. I don't sin anymore. I got things on the right track. Let me know that because I'd be happy to show, share with you the Bible. Uh, and the Bible says that none of us should make it. The Bible says this in, in the book of 1 John. If any man say that he hath no sin, he's a liar and deceives himself. Friend, sin is part of our DNA. It is part of who we are. But allowing sin to control us and to be comfortable with our sin is anti-Christian. I love chapter five. Uh, keep your finger here in, in uh, first Timothy. We're gonna come back in a second. Turn to Romans chapter five. I want you to see this verse uh, for yourself. Romans chapter five, verse number 20 is one of the great promises from God's word. Romans chapter five, verse 20 says that God's commandments and God's law that he's given us entered that the offense might abound. God gave us his guidelines to show us when we're out of bounds, to show us when we're wrong. This has probably never happened to anyone in this room, but it's happened to me before. You get pulled over by a police officer and they say, you know how fast you were going? You immediately think to yourself, I don't know, what's the speed limit here, right? If it's 35, I was probably going 35, right? Maybe it was 45, I don't know. And he says, well, you were traveling 55 miles an hour. Yeah, that sounds about right. In a 25, oh no, that's not good, right? It sounded good when you thought the, that the, the speed limit was 55, but you know, it's very bad when you find out it's 25. God has given us boundaries in his word so that we'll know when we're out of bounds. And again, if you think to yourself, I never crossed the line, you have deceived yourself. But here's what happened. God's given us his law so that we'll know when we're in bounds or out of bounds. And here's what he said, that the offense might abound, that it might be so obvious how bad your sin is. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This is a great promise from God's word. It says this, you cannot out sin the grace of God. If you have sinned against the holy God, God's grace is always greater than your sin. Sometimes folks have said to me, Pastor, I don't I've done so much bad, I don't think I could ever be forgiven. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God's grace is always greater than your sin. 
So if my sin is here, God's grace will always be here. And if my sin is here, God's grace will always be here. God's grace is always greater than my sin. So then the natural, fleshly, carnal man says, well, if I can sin and God always forgives it, I can do what I want to and God's grace is always greater than that and covers it up and God always forgives, then I can just live however I want to. I can sin as much as I want to and not care because God just forgives sin. I have confronted men in their sin and they said, Pastor, I know what I'm doing is a sin, but I also know that God forgives sin. You have greatly misunderstood the grace of God. And so Paul and the Holy Spirit recognize that people will get confused on this. So take a look at Romans chapter six, verse number one, just a few more verses. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Nope, not gonna happen, not on my watch. Nope, you've been set free from that. Don't go back to it again. The Bible says, just as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And when a Christian who has been set free from sin goes back to their sin, you are a fool, my friend. And there's nothing there that will satisfy you. So revival is a heart check time. God, look at me. Is there anything in my life that needs to be made right for you? Desire for revival also calls us to be honest before God. This is a gut check, really. This is a time where we collectively together as a church are gonna stand before God individually with our hearts open saying, God, point at me and show me where I'm wrong. Now, this is something that we should do on our own anyhow, but sometimes we just don't. We just get comfortable. We get complacent. We get stuck in a routine. But this is a time for all of us to say, God, point out what's wrong. Start with me. You know, we are experts at finding fault in other people, like experts at it, right? We struggle to find fault in ourselves. So sometimes we just need to say, God, search me, show me. Revival's a time for that. It's a heart check, it's a gut check, it's time to be honest before God. Now, why do we need revival? Revival protects us against apostasy. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter four. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. That phrase depart from the faith, the Greek word for that is where we get our word apostasy from. The word apostasy means a public denial of a previously held religious belief and distancing from the community that holds to it, apostasy. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us that, that in the end times, the church will become apostate. The church will fall away from the truth. And hey, folks, I don't know if you've looked around lately, but churches who once stood against sin are now welcoming that sin in. Churches who once took a strong stand on the word of God now negotiate the word of God or have replaced it altogether. Churches who once stood against false religion and false teachers and false prophets now welcome false teachers into their pulpits with open arms and give them a hug of brotherhood. 
And we see our, our, in our world today, the church is becoming apostate. And, and so this is not doom and gloom talk. This is the Bible just being the Bible. The Bible said it was gonna happen. Nobody's shocked by any of this. It's repulsive to see Christians embrace false teachers. It's disgusting to see the church soft on sin, welcome sin, and condone sin. Now, friend, we've already talked about our own sin is ever before us. Every single person in this room is a sinner. So some people people go, well, why can't we just accept sin if we're all sinners, right? Know this. Your sinful condition has condemned you to God's punishment and Jesus has paid the price for you. And so while I have no authority to condemn your sin, regardless of what it might be, I also cannot condone your sin. Jesus met the woman at the well and he told her, your sins be forgiven you. Know the, the girl, the woman that was called in adultery, not the woman at the well. Woman called in adultery. He says, your sins be forgiven you. And then he said, go and sin no more. Your sin of adultery has been forgiven, but knock it off. You can't live that way anymore. And so churches that would welcome sin or even condone sin or celebrate sin is apostasy in the church today. It's been hard for me as a, as a Christian, much less a pastor, to see over the last couple of weeks, several, I'll use in air quotes here, celebrity Christians come out as apostate and deny and renounce their faith. I'm gonna pause here for just a second and say anytime we create a celebrity Christian culture, we set people up for failure. Simple as that. Because the higher you lift someone up, the further that they have to fall. And what we once idolized, eventually we will come to demonize. And so we cannot put anybody in first place in our life other than Jesus Christ himself. And so I say this as your pastor. The Bible says the office of a pastor is a, a, a office that's worthy of honor. And I appreciate any respect and honor that people give to this position. But if you think for a split second that I am different than any other man, you've misunderstood what the idea of the position of the pastor is as opposed to the person of the pastor. We're all sinners. So when we create a culture where someone becomes a celebrity based on a book that they've written or uh, something that they do in uh, entertainment or something along those lines, we create a system that's set up for failure. Uh, I don't know if uh, any of you guys follow this or anything like that, but uh, Josh Harris used to um, be a prominent author uh, and a uh, a pastor of a a large church once upon a time. Uh, It's a picture of him and his wife there. He wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye when he was about 20 years old, became a very popular speaker and put together a singles conference and things like that uh, and and really kicked off what we would call the purity movement, encouraging people to not have sex before marriage, uh, to stay married their whole life and to make dating something that would honor the Lord. Um, And then probably he then became a pastor of a large church and then left that church and said he was trying to figure some things out and discover some things, which is usually... uh, Um, code words for I have doubt in my faith and what I believe. About two years ago, he came out and created a documentary where he basically went through and showed how damaging the purity culture had been and telling people that sex before marriage was wrong was actually damaging to people and hurtful to them. And so when we, just know this, let let me pause for just a second. When you step away from purity and holiness, you're stepping away from Jesus. That was automatically a departure from the faith. Because God is holy, because God is perfect, when you step away from God, you automatically are are stepping away from holiness as well. He came out uh, uh, three weeks ago, I believe it was. If you go back to that uh, last Instagram post there, uh, the very first one, 
Uh, he says, uh, we're writing to share the news that we're separating and we'll continue to live our life together as friends. In recent years, some significant changes have taken place in both of us so with our sincere love for one another and understanding of our unique story as a couple that we're moving forward with this decision. We hope to create a generous and supportive future for each other and for our three amazing children in the years ahead. Thank you for your understanding and respecting of our privacy during this difficult time. Now, pause there for just a second. First of all, you have a person who wants privacy in their family life, but yet they post a divorce announcement on Instagram for everyone to see. That's the opposite of privacy. Uh, and if you really wanted to struggle through this and work through this or, or find answers to this, you don't post it on the internet for everybody to see. Uh, but in our culture today, where again, people have a celebrity platform that they want to use, uh, it becomes more and more damaging. So he and his wife uh, are ending their marriage. And he comes out to say that everything that he taught about marriage being for a lifetime, everything that he believed about purity and holiness before marriage is not true any longer because uh, he doesn't see things that way any longer. Again, very, very damaging. Next uh, uh, slide that you have there, he comes out uh, the next day and says, the information was left out of our announcement is that I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away or that word apostasy. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there's a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. He says, I want to repent of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, but the teaching of my books, the, my views of women in the church and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now to the LGBTQ plus community. I want to say that I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality and for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry and I hope you can forgive me. So he goes on to renounce everything that he stood for and he posts a picture uh, two days later of himself at the Vancouver Gay Pride Parade wearing a, a gay pride uh, t-shirt, uh, holding a rainbow colored donut uh, and basically pointing to the fact that he has completely and totally renounced his faith in everything that the Bible stands for. And for many people, this wrecked them because they, they built their, their dating culture on a book that he had written or he was their pastor once upon a time. This guy pastored a church of 5,000 plus people at one time. And again, when we put someone that we follow in place of Jesus, we set ourselves up for failure. So uh, you see things like this and it's just greatly, greatly discouraging. Also about a week later, uh, Marty Sampson, a uh, worship leader for Hillsong United, uh, in Australia came out and, and posted that he was also uh, losing his faith. His Instagram post, which has now been deleted, he says, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now and so at peace with the world. It's crazy. He says, uh, how many preachers fall? Many, but nobody talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many, but nobody talks about it. Why is the Bible so full of contradictions? Nobody talks about it. How can God be loved yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on all the planet, and they can also be some of those beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just the I believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. He says, all I know is what's true to me now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. 
Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. He goes on to say uh, that if you don't like it, you can unfollow him. And again, people began to just lose their mind over this because they had put their faith in a guy who sings songs for a living. Not God, not Jesus Christ, not his word. And if you begin to really kind of... Uh, parse through his statement that he made there. Well, the Bible's full of contradictions, but nobody wants to talk about it. Really? People have been talking about it for 2,000 years. Pastors fail all the time and nobody talks about it. Really? They talk about it every single week. You know, well, science doesn't add up with what the Bible says. Really? Have you ever seen that there was a group of Christians that built a life-size ark in the middle of Kentucky because they want to prove that it could be done? Did you know there's a creation science museum that actually shows how the Bible and science can actually coexist? Do you know people have devoted their entire life to disproving the Bible yet have come up empty? Like you're just not being honest with this. And when he began to, to receive criticism on this, he took his post down and said, well, I'm not really sure if I'm, if I'm renouncing my faith yet or not. I'm still trying to figure it all out. Now, the fact that people fall away from the faith, not shocking to us. The fact that Christian leaders or so-called Christian celebrities would fall away from the faith, not surprising to us. But we really need to ask the question, why does apostasy happen? Because, here's what we need to know. How do we keep ourselves from becoming apostate? Who's to say that you or I 10 years from now won't post a social media post saying, hey, everybody that knew me as a Christian, I'm not really a Christian anymore. I got too many unanswered questions. I got too many things going on. And how do we know that won't be you? How do we protect against that? We need to understand what causes apostasy to make sure that we don't do this. Let's take a look at some reasons for falling away. First of all, one of the reasons for the falling away is a love for this world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, Paul says, Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica, The Bible says that we cannot love this world. Now, again, God so loved the world, talking about the people of the world. But God is saying that those who love this world and the system of this world, they are the enemies of God. That's heavy statement, heavy statement. But when people become enamored with the things of this world, it causes our heart to drift away from the things of God. Because the things of God are completely on the opposite end of the spectrum of the things of this world. Hey, you wanna watch garbage reality TV shows? That's at the opposite spectrum of the holiness of God. You wanna listen to garbage, filthy, disgusting music? That's at the opposite end of the spectrum of the holiness and awesomeness of God. You wanna watch entertainment that, it, that glamorizes this world? It's at the opposite end of the spectrum of the holiness and the awesomeness and the majesty of God. And you cannot love this world and love Jesus at the same time. You gotta pick a side. And again, if you say, well, I'm just kind of in the middle somewhere, great. Jesus says you make him wanna throw up. That's heavy. It's heavy. And we cannot love this world and love Jesus at the same time. You gotta pick a side. And Demas made his choice. He left Paul. He said, Paul, the world has too much to offer me. I don't wanna be a part of this any longer. And I see oftentimes Christian young people who have grown up in a good Christian home depart from the faith because they feel like the world has something to offer them. It's hard to see sometimes, uh, uh, I was talking with, uh, with Thatcher a couple of weeks ago 
we had lunch and we were talking about the people that he went to high school with and how he went to Christian high school. Uh, there was a ministry of a solid uh, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And some of the kids that he went to high school with are now apostate, have renounced their faith. Many have said, I can still be a Christian and still love the things of this world and post pictures of themselves online getting high and drinking beer and, and posting pictures of them at parties uh, completely and totally sloshed. And they say, well, I can still be a Christian just because I do this, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. It's like, you don't understand that verse at all. But they have this idea that I can love the world and love Jesus at the same time. Friend, that leads to apostasy. And let me just help you with something this morning because I love you. If you think that what the world has to this offer will bring you lasting joy and significance, you have greatly underestimated the cost that it costs to follow the things of this world. You've greatly, you, you haven't done the math yet. Because what this world has to offer provides no lasting significance. You say, well, I just wanna have fun. The Bible says that sin is fun. Nobody's disagreeing with that. But the Bible says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And when that season is over, there is misery and regret. But when you follow Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. The Bible says that he that followeth the Lord shall be never ashamed. The word ashamed means never disappointed. I've never one time ever been like, oh, I'm so bummed out. I got up 10 minutes early and read my Bible this morning. Man, I could have slept in. Never, never. I'm always thankful that I've read the word. I'm always thankful I spent time in God's word. So loving this world is at odds with loving God. Next, a love of sin. Turn a couple pages over in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse number one. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Pause for just a second. Natural affection there means uh, that they don't, Men don't love women and women don't love men. They love their own sex. That word natural affection speaks of homosexuality. So again, for someone who wants to say, well, the Bible only talks about homosexuality in the Old Testament. You haven't read the Bible and you don't understand what the Bible says. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Get this next part having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So you have these people who are involved in all this gross, egregious sin who still wanna say, I'm a Christian. I follow, I follow God. And he says, but their life betrays them. What they do shows that they're not really Christians. They don't really follow after God. And he says, those type of people, get away from that. You don't wanna be a part of that. And so many people fall away from their faith because of their love for sin. And again, there is no lasting fulfillment found in a life of sin. Next, lack of discipleship. I think with these two men that have uh, publicly renounced their faith, I think both of them would probably could be pointing to a lack of discipleship and a lack of good doctrine. 
we would disagree with a lot of the doctrine that's held by the Hillsong Church. They're a, a Pentecostal church. Uh, they believe, uh, put a lot of focus and emphasis on uh, entertainment, a lot of uh, focus in, on emotion and feeling, and very little weight is put on the Bible. And we, we would say that's the upside-down version of it. But a lack of discipleship means nobody actually taught you what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. Hey, evidently, nobody sat Marty Sampson down and said, hey, man, there's gonna be some hard things that you come across in the Bible. You just gotta work through them in faith. Because he gets this, he goes, nobody's talking about this stuff. No, actually, everybody's talking about it. Nobody ever sat him down and said, hey, there's gonna be some things that on the surface appear to be at odds with science. But the more that we study out, the more that we find that the Bible is only strengthened by what we find in science. And here, here's the other awesome part about the Bible. The word of God stands forever. The Bible says the Bible is forever settled in heaven. We believe the word of God is perfect from cover to cover. It is true 100% of it. But here's the thing. The Bible has not changed in 2,000 years. Do you think they still teach out of the same science textbooks that they did when I was in high school 20 years ago? Absolutely not. You know why? Because a lot has changed since then. I thought science didn't change. I thought it was observable and repeatable and never changed. And how does science change? I don't understand that. Math doesn't change. Four plus four is still eight. Two times two is still four. That doesn't change. But science changes? And again, we just need to ask the hard questions. How does the word of God stand forever, yet science, so-called, changes all the time? If you're curious as whether or not you can, can make up or down of science, let me just ask you this question. You should Google this afternoon if you get time. Are eggs good for you or bad for you? Just that. That's a simple question, right? Eggs, good or bad? Seriously, it's an easy, if science is science, that should be an easily answered question. But you know what people will say? Cholesterol is terrible for you. Don't ever eat the yolk, only eat the white. No, the yolk is where all the, the nutrients are found. It's what brings your good cholesterol. No, you gotta eat all of it together. The more e eggs you eat, the better. No, this tribe in Africa has never eaten eggs and nobody's ever died of heart disease there. And all this conflicting information from science, right? But somebody never sat these folks down and said, hey, look, the Bible's a hard book. Following Jesus is a hard thing. But it's about faith, not about what you can see. And it's not a blind faith. Well, I guess I'll just believe it to be so. No, it's a, it's a faith that's been backed up not only by the word of God, which we have in our very own hands, but by 2,000 plus years of Christian history, of people who have walked this path before us. Mark chapter four, verse number 16, they were likewise, which are sown on the stony ground, when they had heard the word, immediately received it with gladness and having no root in themselves, so endure but for a time afterwards when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. So these are people who heard the word and they go, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I wanna do the Christian life. But then when hard times came, they didn't have any roots down. Nobody taught them what it meant to be a committed follower of Christ and hard times came and they're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And so the Bible says they were blown out and they didn't make it. Why? Because they didn't put their roots down. At Hui Kala, we have the Continued Discipleship Program. We're starting on September 25th, Wednesday nights. We sit down, you and another Christian, for an hour and talk through major doctrines of the Bible for 14 weeks or more to teach you what you need to know about the Bible from the Bible so that you can stand strong in your faith. 
And then after you've completed your discipleship course, you then now become the teacher and you teach another person what you've learned through discipleship. It's a biblical program for it. If you've never gone through discipleship, every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. It is a protection against apostasy to know what you believe and why you believe it. Next, many people fall away because of a lack of good doctrine. The Bible says that there are many false teachers out there. It says that there are wolves in sheep's clothing that have come to get what they can from the flock. 2 Peter chapter 2 says it this way, but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the faith, the way of truth, shall be evil spoken of. Again, doctrine is the glue that holds the church together, and doctrine is the foundation where we put our roots down. If you don't have a, a good doctrine, you're going to follow whatever fits your fancy. It grieves me to see people leave who we call up for another church. I hate it anytime anybody ever leaves for another church. But if you leave for another good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and you jump in with both feet and you get fully in, involved, I'm 100% for you. It grieves me to see people leave who we call up for a false teaching church. And I say, you know that their doctrine there is not biblical. They go, oh, but their praise band there is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I love the worship. I love the music. Right. But the God that they're worshiping is not the same God that you and I would worship. I know, but I just love the music. I'm a mature enough Christian. I can discern what's right and what's wrong. Don't put yourself under false teaching. Well, we're going to that church because they got a killer kids program. I mean, they got like a kids center. It's like 10,000 square foot with bounce houses and ball pits and stuff like that. And my kids love it there. So we're going there. You know they don't preach the gospel. You know they're sending people to hell. I know, but my kids love it. Really? It's a recipe for apostasy. Just know that. You're setting yourself up for failure. And I'm gonna stop here for a second and say we are not the only church in town that's preaching the gospel or that has the truth or is standing on the word of God. I'm saying that there are churches out there that are led by false teachers and we need to beware. And if you get under a a church of false teacher, you're setting yourself up for apostasy if you're not already part of apostasy already. Be careful with that. Next, self-deception. This is hard because you don't see this one coming. You've deceived yourself. It's okay. It's normal. My sin, my way that I live, it's, it's, it's fine. God's okay with it. Anybody who disagrees me, with, with me is judging me. Anybody who share, tries to share the Bible from me with me in love is automatically a Pharisee. Holier than thou. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. I, I got this. You've deceived yourself. You're setting yourself up for failure. Bible says in Mark 4, 19, also talking about the parable of the seed and the sower and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of things entering in chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Again, this comes down to not being honest before God. From time to time, I'll ask my wife, hey, is there anything in my life that you see that's not right? And she says, well, you know, I see the X, I see Y, I see Z could become a problem if you're not on top of it, but overall, here's the things that I see. I appreciate that. I need that because I can't see it myself because I deceive myself. And we need to be careful of that and guard against it. Next, choosing reasoning over faith. 
I don't believe that the Christian life requires us to shut off our rational thinking. I believe it causes us to engage it to the next level. And again, any, any religion that tells you don't think about it, just do it. Just lay all of your reasoning to the side and just jump. That's not a Christian faith, that's a cult. And you need to be aware of that. Now, can everything be explained from the Bible? It can, but maybe it's not to our own uh, satisfaction level. I believe, because the Bible says, that God created the earth in six literal 24-hour days. I believe that. How did he do it? I don't know. The Bible says he spoke it into existence. I know, but like, how? I don't know. But I know it's awesome to think that everything that we see with our eyes was created by God in six days. And here's the awesome part. When God created, and on the sixth day, when he says what he has created is very good, here's something that's gonna blow your mind. God never created anything after that. Everything just keeps going. The Bible says that, that it keeps going because Jesus keeps it going. But God created on that sixth day, he says, I'm done, and everything has just created itself since then. That's fascinating to me. How does it happen? I don't know, but I believe it's true. It's incredible. And I think the more that we dig and the more that we understand about science and we marry that together with our faith, it all makes sense together. But here's the thing, you can never, ever, ever choose to reason over your faith. There might come times in the Christian life where you say, I don't understand this and maybe I'll ask God about it when I get to heaven. I can't fully process it with my brain right now, but I choose to believe God. There's times where I've gotten into to discussions with people who are evolutionists and they, man, they have studied far more than I have on that, far more. They know their stuff. Well, what do you think about the find of 1879? Uh, what'd they find? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, tell me what they found, I'll tell you what I think about it. How about that? I, obviously studied more than I have. I say, you know what? Honestly, you've done a lot more homework than I have, but it won't change what I believe to be true from the Bible. The Bible says that God created man by breathing into him the breath of life, and I believe that to be true. And you can't convince me otherwise. But many times people want to say, well, no, tell me how it all happened. What about these monkeys? What about, these, uh, these, what about evolution? What about these different changes? Could God have used evolution to create man? Maybe God used the evolutionary process over billions and billions of years to create man. That's plausible, right? That's called theistic evolution, and that also is a lie. You know why? Because Christians got scared of science, and they said, we have to make science and the Bible somehow come together, so maybe God didn't breathe into man the breath of life. Maybe God used evolution over billions and billions of years to bring man about, and then we can have our uh, evolution, and now we can have our theism. We can just put them together, call it theistic evolution, call it good. But you're putting faith in science instead of faith in the Bible. You have to put faith in something. None of us were there at creation. Every thought that we have about where we came from is a matter of faith. So don't choose reasoning over faith. Next, satanic deception. This goes back to our text from 1 Timothy here, chapter four. Now, the spirit speaketh expressly in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Did you know that there are churches that preach and teach here in our city that your sin 
it's not a big deal. All of us have shortcomings. All of us have failures and God just loves you right where you're at. God just loves you just how you are. And you're welcome to come as you are and stay as you are because God loves you right where you're at. Hey, hey, God created you like this. And God doesn't create anything with flaws. He's perfect. And all of that sounds very reasonable. But the problem is, is it's anti-biblical. It goes against the Bible. God loves you right where you are. Yes, no doubt about that. But God hates, he abhors your sin. The Bible says that God has, has, has resisted you and no longer hears your prayers because of your sin. God's not okay with your sin. And you shouldn't be either. And who we call about his church, I don't care what you got going on. It doesn't matter to me what sin you're struggling with, you're welcome here. Because this is one of the only places in the world that God created that you will get help. The local New Testament, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, it's the only help for sinners. So if you're a sinner, you are always welcome here. But please know you cannot come as you are and stay as you are because God calls every sinner to repentance and change. And that's hard, folks. That's hard. That's why we need each other. That's why we need encouragement. But the devil wants to say, you're fine. It's not that big of a deal. And there are churches who, the Bible says here, damnable heresies, that your sin's not a big deal. Friend, your sin put Jesus on the cross. Your sin caused God to execute his only begotten son in one of the most heinous fashions possible. There's no way on planet earth that your sin is okay before God. You just, you just can't put it together. And so many people will fall away from a true faith because they find a comfortable faith, a faith that affirms their sinful condition. That's why 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Hey, just because somebody calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. Just because uh, some book is supposedly written by a Christian author doesn't make it a Christian book. And hey, just because it plays on the Christian radio don't mean it's Christian music. You know what John says? Try, test every spirit to see whether or not it's of God. And let me tell you, if I hear music playing on the Christian radio that is not, doesn't line up with scripture, that's not Christian music. I hear some Christian guru talking about some uh, flowery self-help method that he's discovered on a time of, of, of a silence sabbatical that he took to Egypt. Hey dog, that's not in the Bible. I don't wanna hear that. Seriously. Well, he, he, he says he's a Christian. I don't care what he says. Give me the Bible. Give me God's word. And Satan deceives that way. Here's something that all of us need to check today. Every single one of us. You could be apostate. You could renounce your Christian faith. And this is the number one one that I'm concerned about because of a lack of true saving faith. I'm worried about this more than any of the other ones for you. Are you really a Christian? Are you really a child of God? Has there been a time in your life where you were saved or born again? Well, pastor, I've been in church my whole life ever since I can remember. I didn't ask about your church attendance. Well, pastor, I've just believed in God as long as I can remember. I grew up around, I didn't ask about your belief in God. I asked, are you saved? Was there a time, a date, in a place in your life where you recognize your sinful condition, you realize before a holy God that you stood lacking and you cried out to God 
and said, God, I recognize my sinful condition. I realize that I've broken your law and I'm asking you to save me and forgive me of my sin. And I put my faith in you. Have you done that before? And I'm not talking about just saying a prayer in vacation Bible school when you were three and you think it kind of, I think it took. No, no, no. It's a recognition of my sinful condition before God where I put my faith and trust in him and I was saved and born again. Many people deny the Christian faith because they never were Christians. First John is a heavy book to read through, heavy book. First John chapter two, verse number 19 says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Hey, maybe these, quote, celebrity Christians have renounced their faith and all they did was prove that they were never Christians to begin with. (gasps) Are you saying that this guy who was a pastor who wrote Christian books could have never been a believer? That's exactly what I just got through saying. I'm not saying that he was. I'm saying that's a possibility. You know why? Because John says it was. And he left just to show us that he was never really part of us anyways. You have some famous worship leader, which is not, again, worship leader is not a biblical title or a biblical office. And why we put great emphasis on people who can sing and play well, I'll never understand. But this guy who is a Christian entertainer now says, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Maybe he's telling us he was never a Christian to begin with. And friend, there might come a day for you where you say, I'm not a Christian anymore. And the question is, were you ever a Christian to begin with? And I am greatly, greatly concerned about this. To think that there would be someone who's a part of who we call a Baptist church that is not really saved. Maybe you're a church member. Maybe, maybe you got baptized here, but you know in your heart that you're not saved. Friend, do not hang on to that. Confess it, become a child of God today, get saved. I've known pastors before who've admitted that they were not really saved and, and repented of their sin and got saved. I've known of, uh, when I was a, a kid in high school, our, our church piano player was a guy who'd been playing piano there for 40 plus years, admitted he wasn't saved and got saved. There's no, there's no shame in that. There's great shame in holding into a fake profession of faith that you never meant and taking it to your grave because you're embarrassed and spending eternity separated from God because you're not really saved. There's great shame in that. Don't do that. But if you would today say, Pastor, I'm not really saved. I never have been, but I want to be saved today. Man, praise God. We'll celebrate and rejoice with you, man. But I'm concerned about this. How do we know if there's fruit in our lives? My love for Jesus can be measured by my obedience to the word. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Again, feelings or I put a, a, a fish bumper sticker on my car. I took it next level. I put a fish eating the Darwin fish on the back of my car. And Pastor, I wonder who we call a t-shirt. Like, how much more Christian can I be? No, no, no. Your love for Jesus isn't determined on your wardrobe or your sticker choices. It's determined on your obedience to the word of God. And again, revival's time for a heart check. Are you being obedient to the word or is there sin in your life that needs to be made right? My love for Jesus can also be measured by my love for others. You love other people or are you self-centered and selfish? If so, you need to change that. Let me ask you this question. If you came out tomorrow and posted on your Instagram like these guys did, no longer a Christian, 
no longer a person of faith and uh, I've lost my faith along the way. Hello, my mic. Can you hear me? What happened to you tomorrow? What would be the ramifications of your own apostasy? If you're no longer a follower, what would that mean for you? What, what would be the ramifications? For some people, you just get your Sundays back. I get to sleep in on Sundays. I get to hit the brunch at Duke's. I get to play around the golf in the afternoon. I, hey, I got another day back in my schedule. For other people, if you post it on the internet, oh, I'm no longer a Christian. Would there be people who said, what are you talking about? I never knew you were a Christian. Big shock to us. Or, I don't know about you, but for our family, for the last 20 years, we built our life around Jesus Christ that if I came out as apostate tomorrow, I lose my friends. I lose the people around me that are really family. I lose my direction and my mooring for life. I lose the foundation that I built everything my family on top of. I lose any type of moral compass that I have of right versus wrong. I, I lose the glue that holds my marriage and my family together. I lose everything. Are you that deep in? Is your faith such a critical component to your life that if you lost that, you really wouldn't have anything left to stand on? I think that's the direction that Jesus expects from us. When he says, if anyone will follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I think that's what he means. I wanna be the center of everything, not just to bolt onto your weekend. How do we protect against apostasy? Let's run through these and we're done. First of all, be fully certain of your salvation. Do not leave here until you know for sure I am a child of God. Not I think so, not I hope so, not I'm pretty sure. I'm 100% sure that I'm saved. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life to them that believe on the name of the Son of God. God doesn't want you to think you're saved. Be pretty sure he wants you to be 100% certain that you are saved. Next, have a heart fully yielded to the word. Whatever the Bible says, I'm gonna do it. Well, what if it goes against what I wanna do? I'm just gonna follow the Bible anyways. I choose to obey God and obey his word because I know it's what's best for me. Next, commit to lifelong discipleship. I wanna grow and walk with Jesus every single day for the rest of my life. I'm still on a journey of discipleship myself. Pat and Jane Smith took Angela and I probably 18 years ago or so through a discipleship process, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm still learning what it means to be a good follower of Jesus. I'm still reading books on how to be a better Christian or how to, uh, to recognize my own shortcomings and sinful condition and things like that. I'm still trying to grow in my walk with God. Next, this is part of revival. Remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be repulsed by sin. Friend, if you can watch a television show and laugh at sin, you don't have a revival spirit in you. There have been so many television shows that we've turned off that were actually entertaining because the plot line became all about sin. So-and-so sleeping with so-and-so, so-and-so cheated on so-and-so, so-and-so was, was uh, dishonest with this and they were rewarded because of it. Now, I'm not watching that. I don't need that. Repulsed by sin, but not repulsed by other people's sin, repulsed by my own sin. I did this and I hate the fact that I've continued to get caught up in this cycle of sin. I wanna change. Next, ask hard questions. This is why God's given you a pastor 
to guide you through difficult circumstances. Pastor, I'm walking with Jesus. I love Jesus, but my mom got cancer and it doesn't look like she's gonna make it. How do I rectify that? That's a legitimate question that somebody should have answers to. And unfortunately, many times people have pastors who are like, I don't know, just trusting God. Well, that's not an answer, man. We need to wrestle with hard questions. And you need to get answers to the questions that you have. And for heaven's sakes, don't go look into YouTube for all of your answers in life, right? You got a pastor who loves you. Ask hard questions. Next, be accountable. If you're struggling, let somebody know. If there's sin in your life, let somebody know. The Bible says in the book of James, we should confess our faults one to another. If you're struggling in your faith, you need to tell somebody. If you're struggling in sin, you need to tell somebody. If you're losing your faith, you need to tell somebody. But next, live out your faith daily. Again, if Christianity is just something that you do on the weekends or something that you do on Sunday mornings, you're not really living the Christian life. If Christianity is something that you do once or twice a month, you're not really living the Christian life. And I'm telling you this, there's gonna come a time where it's just not exciting anymore, where it's just like, if I had my Sunday mornings back, I could get so much more done. And it just becomes like a, a, another thing to do on your, your weekly calendar. No, if you're living out your faith every day, Sundays are just the, the, the kick in the tail that you need to keep, to keep going. It gets you re-energized, gets you fired up to get, keep moving. Hey, Sunday nights is another opportunity to learn more about the Bible and to grow in your faith. Wednesday nights is time to get together with other Christians and pray about things that matter to you and learn about the Bible together and pray together. And then Saturday is an opportunity to go out into our community and tell people about Jesus and try to develop relationships with people and talk to them about the Lord and eternity. Man, I get the opportunity to do this stuff. I don't have to do any of it. It's funny when I'll talk to people and encourage them to be in church. They'll say, well, I don't have to, be a, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. <laughs> You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Well, I'm going to heaven. That's all I worry about. You're totally missing the point. Jesus Christ is meant to be our life. Everything to us. Every person who's ever renounced their faith came to a point where Jesus wasn't their life anymore. He wasn't good enough. Apostasy is that. Jesus was good, but he wasn't good enough. I got what I wanted from him, but I'm kind of done with it. I'm gonna set him to the side and find out what's next. No, Jesus is my life. He is my everything. He is the center. And the Bible says in the book of Colossians, we are complete in him. Man, that's where I wanna live. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, please do not leave here. I don't care if you've called yourself a professing Christian. I don't care if you're a member of this church. I don't care if you've led people through discipleship. I don't care if I've baptized you myself. If you're not a Christian, do not, do not allow your pride to keep you from becoming saved. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, please don't leave here until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. This is the beginning of a new life for you that will will change everything for you in the most positive way possible. But for those of us that are Christians, nope, I'm saved, I'm born again. Today is an opportunity to check our own hearts. God, is there any sin that I need to make right? God, would you bring a spirit of revival to me first and then allow it to spread to our church and would our church be stronger as a result of this time of revival because that's what we need. We need revival. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. 
You belong here.